Welcome to this edition of From Under the Rubble. Today we're going to talk, going to talk about a matter of life and death, politicking abortion. I'm Jim Easton, and with me is Dr. Thomas Fleming. Hello, Jim. Let's start. Let's start with a quote. <clears throat> and that would be Donald Trump. Chris Matthews asked him. Do you believe in punishment for abortion? Yes or no as a principle? Trump answered him, The answer is that there has to be some form of punishment. For the woman? Yes, there has to be some form for the woman. So the Donald apparently thinks that uh, someone needs to pay if a baby is killed. Yeah. You know, uh, it's very interesting, the storm of disapproval and anger that this raised, especially in the pro-life community. I mean, you'd expect the feminists who are professional women haters, you'd expect them, you know, to, uh, to, to crawl all over him. But it was the pro-life response that was most interesting and, of course, most discouraging. Uh, Trump is, a, is sort of a simple man. He's, uh, maybe he's read a good one book in his life, maybe not. But he doesn't think deeply but he, uh, he has a, a steel trap mind in its own way. And so if you tell him that something is a crime, well, for example, if robbing a liquor store is a crime, is it the guy who planned the robbery who goes to jail or the guy who committed the robbery? And the answer is both. It, it has to be. If something's a crime, then the person who commits the crime has to be punished. Uh, the idea that uh, that women are that that an abortion is there are three parties to an abortion, two of them are victims, is absurd and obscene. A woman who chooses to kill her own child is not only as guilty as the doctor who betrays the nobility of his profession by killing a patient. I mean, what could be more disgusting as a piece of bad professional ethics? But what could be worse? Is there, is there a crime that is worse than killing a close member of your family? Or is, and, and in those crimes, a mother killing her own child. This is Euripides Medea. She kills her children in order uh, to get revenge on her husband. So uh, the, the answer is uh, Trump, without ever thinking about this, knew the right answer, which is, of course, she has to pay. Well, and then he uh, he backtracked significantly on that, and uh, to quote him again, the woman is a victim in this case, as is the life in her tomb. Yeah, I, that uh, that's ty that's typical. That's the language of the pro-life industry, as I like to call it. It's not so much a movement as a cash cow for the people who run it. Uh, of course, there are there are hundreds of thousands and very sincere people in the pro-life movement, but there are leaders who think that they have a right to define positions and and take and and take stands. And some of them, you know, have engaged in illegal activities like uh, uh, invading abortion clinics and damaging them. And you know, it, it, the, 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 that whole that whole business, that whole industry, I think, has been a disgrace for a long time. Well, let's take a look at another politician that seems to agree with you, Hillary Clinton. <laughs> and to quote her, well, under our laws currently. 
That is something that non-exists, speaking of constitutional rights. The unborn person doesn't have constitutional rights. Well, that is certainly uh, true. Uh, and it is, it is a funny, again, that uh, poor Hillary uh, deviated into rectitude. That is, she, she accidentally, because she wasn't thinking hard <laughs> enough, she accidentally said something which is true. The uh, unborn... The, uh, it, first of all, it, it's a mistake to refer to the unborn person because if we're talking about legal rights and legal claims, the, the, a child, whether born or unborn, uh, does not, uh, is not a legal person. That is, they, a child, you know, uh, whether it's uh, six months in the womb or ten years be outside the womb, that child cannot go to court and sue. If the child, uh, if the if there if the if the government, if the state government thinks that if that uh, the child is not well served by its parents, or if the parents are dead, a guardian can be appointed. And uh, I think the legal terms is an ad litem uh, uh, guardian for the purposes of legal suits, and so on the child's behalf, a suit can be entered. But insofar as it is a minor child or an unborn child, there is no legal or constitutional right. And, and this isn't something invented since Roe v. Wade. This is something which is, uh, goes back uh, in American law, in English common law, uh, and goes back to Roman law. And by the way, uh, the law of the church. The, there, 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 there are no such thing as constitutional rights uh, for Children at uh, until they're un unless they're emancipated or adopted. I mean, there are various ways this, this could be done. So Hillary uh, was right. It, it is interesting that what really got people mad. Of course, the pro-life uh, movement got mad at her for for saying that an unborn, telling the truth and saying an unborn child has no rights. But the but the feminists got hysterical with the idea that Hillary accidentally repeating the language of the questioner accidentally referred to an unborn person as if as if a baby born or unborn is a human being and see set aside this question of personhood which is a legal question the really obscene part to them is the idea that a baby in the womb is human because if it's human you can't murder it it's only a potential person yeah man. it's only yeah. A potential life yeah the the argument you always hear I, I i used to read this stuff all the time and i can't bring myself anymore but you know if a if a person goes into a forest and uh, burns down a tree, let's say the tree is worth uh, $5,000 for, for its timber. So you're, you're liable for 5000 But it, a, a, an acorn planted in the ground just beginning to sprout, it's worth virtually nothing and worth whatever the seed was, which is uh, 50 cents or a dime. Well, the, 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 the flaw in this argument is pretty obvious because human, trees are clones, you know, in a, in a forest, all the trees are the same. Every human being, and, and whether you're left-wing or right-wing, liberal, conservative, feminist, anti-feminist, the argument is we're all we're unique individuals. So the analogy would have to be you have one seed of a rare and exotic plant that'll be worth a million dollars when it comes to flowering because it's got the cure for cancer. Which are you, are you going to be 
are you going to be sued for? You're going to be sued for the value of the seed, which maybe somebody found somewhere by accident, paid no money, or you're going to be sued for the lost potential value of the product. Similarly, an athlete, you know, a, professional, a young professional athlete, if he's deliberately harmed, like they break his leg and he can't, he can't play football again, or a pianist gets her hand cut off, they, you, they sue on the basis of lifetime earnings they're deprived of. So all of these stupid arguments that are brought forth by feminists, on their own terms, they fail. Not one of them works. I've never found a pro-abortion argument that worked. Well, leaving the feminists aside mm-hmm. for a moment, um, why don't we put a little basis on this? Uh, what were the, what did the ancient Greeks, uh, ancient Greeks and Romans, did they not believe that the that uh, the unborn had a, a right to property uh, uh, and sanguinization? Uh, okay, the 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 of course the Greek and Roman law is different on some of these points, but essentially. The child, the mar- marriage, marriage exists in the ancient world uh, for the production of children. And so, for example, even in Christian law in the Middle Ages, if, uh, if a woman turns out to be barren or the husband impotent, the marriage is dis- can be, doesn't have to be, but can be dissolved because a woman has a right to bear a child under under uh, under marriage under the Christian understanding of marriage, and the husband has a right to expect an heir, or at least at least to, that the the wife can 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 bear him a child. So in the in the ancient world, the whole idea of the marriage is to produce a child. If you uh, if you get rid of the child, that is, if a woman unilaterally decides to get rid of the child, then she's depriving her husband of an heir. And for example, if it's an only child, uh, what she's do- what she's doing is uh, extinguishing her husband's family, because pro- property was passed down to some extent automatically. That is, inherited property like the house and farm passed down from son to son, divided among the sons, and you know every every city, every community, every government had had different rules. But essentially, they all provided for this orderly transfer of property across the generations. So the child, per, the child, insofar as it's a child or an unborn child, uh, has no rights. It will, however, it it is potentially capable if born and and and, and uh, reaches adulthood. It will be the heir to the property, and so as a legal heir, it will have rights. As a child, no. I know it's a little thorny, but, you know, uh, we were uh, talking earlier a little bit about this before we started recording the show, and, and I, I brought up under Roman law. Roman law allows you, as Greek law did, allows you to expose a child if you are too poor to rear it, uh, or if, you are, uh, if the child is defective or non-viable. Um, in the case of... Um, Children that the family just can, that the woman, maybe she's a prostitute, maybe she's an unmarried woman who got into trouble. Uh, and so th- they would expose them in a, a place that everybody knew. It's like today you bring your baby to a, a fire station often. And so these places were designated and everybody, and, and you would go just after dusk and drop the baby off. Meanwhile, there are people waiting there. There are, pe- there are of course, people who want to raise up a slave child 
or women who have lost a baby and they look around, okay, this may be this, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll raise this one instead. So mostly it wasn't infanticide, but they still had the right to expose unto death a child. They had the, there was no law against abortion per se in the Roman world. If a father, because a father had the power of life and death under certain circumstances, over, sometimes over his wife, but always over his children. In fact, uh, it could, this, this right could even extend what, when the children are 35 years old. If they do something to offend the laws of the commonwealth, like, like for example, insult the father, beat him up, have sex with a stepmother, whatever it is, uh, the, uh, the, the, the father has the power of life and death over that child. Now, in the case of an abortion, if the father and the mother agree either to expose or abort the child, um, there's no, nothing can be done. You can't, the, the law can't penetrate into the family because the father is the king of the family. However, they would always cover up an abortion because it was felt to be disgusting. But what would happen if a wife exposed, if a wife aborted a child without permission from her husband, this was a criminal act punishable potentially by death. That Because the crime was not to kill the child. That was acceptable because, again, the child has no rights. But the father has a right to raise his own, to have, have an heir. And, by the way, we go a long way toward sanity in abortion law in America if we revive this. In other words, okay, you're going to have abortion, you're going to have an abortion for cause under certain circumstances. Fine. There's only one problem. Both parties have to agree. Whether you're married or not, you're depriving a man of his offspring. And so there ought to be very serious penalties for women who will unilaterally deprive their husband or boyfriend or, or lover uh, of his child. Well, now, <coughs> weren't the... Uh uh, cesarean laws actually put in place to protect the doctors and the women from from being accused of an abortion at that point. Yeah, yeah, because because uh, the the there there are there are there are very there are various laws regulating marriage and child rearing in the in the age of uh, Caesar and especially his uh, heir uh, Augustus, but the purpose there was largely, Augustus was uh, particularly, and his, and his ministers were concerned that the Roman upper class was trying to avoid having children. So they, he put in penalties, civil penalties for people who refused to get married and people who refused to have children. That is, um, you would, you could, by penalty, but there would be, you'd be under obligation. Your tax position would change. You couldn't enter the Senate. There are all sorts of things which they could do to you. And I'm not saying these laws necessarily work or were a good idea, but they show that the first Roman emperor was very, very concerned about maintaining a, de- uh, the, the, a, f- a traditional family with a, where children were brought up to maturity. Skipping forward a bit, uh, you know, as a, as a Christian, am I not supposed to be pro-life? Is that... Don't I don't I get that from from the Bible? Well, you know they they, they uh, you, in the in the movement you hear you hear two terms: your right to life and pro life. And I, I have a problem with both these terms. Uh, 
Uh, right to life is a particularly obnoxious term, offensive term. But pro-life, well, what kind of life? For example, there are sects, religious sects in India, where, what are they called, the, the, the Jains, and they wear gauze over their face so that they may not accidentally ingest a gnat and kill it, because all life is equally sacred. Well, for Christians, all life is not equally sacred. I'm sorry, a bug or the shark that's, that's, that, that's about to eat you or a, uh, the Ebola virus that if it gets into your body, don't viruses have rights? And, and what about a mass murderer? What about a serial rapist murderer? Does he have a right to live? Because once you get into this right-to-life language, then unfortunately there are many too many Catholic theologians who by, have been trapped by this language of right-to-life. Okay, set aside the viruses and the sharks and, and the gnats, but all human beings have a right to, to, to live. Uh, gee, you know, I must have missed the passage in the Bible where, it said, where God said, you will have a right to life. There is no such thing. But even, uh, but even, the, even the argument, the generic pro-life argument, the answer is no. Uh, I'm not in favor of all life. Pond scum, frankly, it should be, can be treated and eliminated. And I, I'm speaking quite literally. So there's lots of life forms, including, including human life forms, that I think that, that sensible people can agree we're better off without. Well, what, what, does, uh, what does Aquinas and uh, natural law say about, uh, about the rights of the unborn? The, um, it's interesting. Uh, St. Thomas, of course, believes in what he calls the, the use, the law, which uh, the, there's the, the, uh, the, the right. The right, there's a divine right, there's the right of nature, and then there are the rights of nations. This is an argument going back to uh, Cicero and Aristotle. And Thomas actually is quite, quite, as usual, quite brilliant on this. He says, well, when we speak of use, that is the, 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 that's the word we get from Jural. J-U-S. J-U-S, yes. When, we speak, when he speaks of use, he says, uh, is, this for, is, this, is this that which is right is the basic underlying notion. That which you, that's what you're supposed to do because it's, it's, the, it's the way of the world. It's T.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis uses this Chinese term, the Tao. The Tao and the use are, are, are overlap a lot. So he said, um, well, it is use, it is right for uh, parents to take care of their children. Does that mean the child has a claim on the parents? In other words, in our sense of right, the child does the child now have a right to be taken care of? And uh, Thomas uses this as the reductio ad absurdum. See, if you really believe that use, that, that which is right, is a claim on somebody or on society, then you'd get to what he thinks is the absurd position that a child has a claim on its parents. But a child being completely dependent on the parent cannot have a claim. So therefore, he uses that very example to show you that, that these natural rights are not rights you have. In other words, I have a right to, to work. I have a right to a free education. I have a right to a clean environment. No, 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 no. These are good things to do. They are the right things that we should be doing. 
but they don't necessarily confer a claim from the inferior to the superior, from the child. That's why he would say uh, women don't have rights as a, uh, uh, claims on men, uh, and certainly children don't have claims on, uh, on their, their parents. So the Thomistic argument, which is the classic Catholic argument, is would be there is no right to life, period. And, and there, that, in fact, babies and, uh, and born children, unborn children, none of them has a claim against its parents. That's uh, shocking in a, in a legal system that allows uh, an adult to sue his parents, their parents, uh, because they mistreated him, yeah. <laughs> both in the womb and as a child. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a... It's well, a well, how... Uh, how do we protect unborn lives? Yeah. I mean, what what is our duty to protect unborn yeah. lives? Why is abortion a bad yeah. thing? Yeah, the um, uh, of course Thomas and all all uh, Christian theologians have a very simple answer to that, and that is they don't they speak of first of that which is right, and then they also speak of duty. So we all have uh, particular duties. For example. The uh, philosopher, teacher has a duty to tell the truth. The policeman has the duty to obey as well as enforce the law. So we get particularly angry if with a road cop who's taking money in order to frustrate justice. Uh, Priests and ministers are supposed to preach the gospel and counsel. So a a priest who seduces a child or a minister or uh, this, this is particularly disgusting. But we, we have other duties which are not professional, and the duty of a parent, the, obliga- the duty of a positive duty of a parent is to care for the child, to bring it into life, and then to, to feed and clothe it and protect it and take care of it. And the strongest of these duties is the duty of the mother. The baby is insider. Genetically, it is, the, the baby is half of the mother, uh, in, genetically, and her, her most sacred obligation, the most sacred obligation that a, that, a, that a woman has, is to bear, nurse, as she can, and rear the child. And if, if she kills the child, she is abrogating. She is failing in the most solemn duty that she has. There is, she could do no, she, killing her husband is secondary compared to, compared to this. So what we need to do, obviously, is to reacquire this Christian imagination, this Christian understanding that goes back, yes, it does go back to Cicero and Aristotle, and to, but, but it has been with Christianity from the beginning, the, parent, the, the duty of parents. Children are supposed to obey and respect their parents, but parents have the corresponding obligation to bear, and to, from a Christian point of view, particularly to bear and nurse, take care of, educate, bring up the child to become a responsible, decent Christian human being. There's nothing, if you're going to get married, and if you're, if you're going to start fooling around and having sexual relations, then this, this, is, the, this is the price you have to pay. You have willingly entered into this uh, obligation. And if you haven't willingly, and like in the case of rape, which by the way, of the abortions done in America, probably not one hundredth of one percent involve a, a rape case. And so, like, 
it would be morally wrong to have a law that said no abortion except in the case of rape. It would be morally wrong, but practically speaking, it would save 99.99% of the babies being murdered by their parents. So I think that in a civil society that is not established on Christian grounds, and that's certainly the United States of America, we have never been and are not now, especially a Christian nation, to come up with some pragmatic compromise that would save babies would certainly make a great deal of sense. Tom, I'm afraid your values are terribly antiquated. <laughs> uh, no, uh, first, the... first we, we removed uh, sex from procreation. You know, sex is a recreation now. Yeah. And, and we certainly have enough people in the world. You know, what's a few less? Uh, uh, the, the whole idea of child-rearing and uh, the liberation of the woman, you know, for, for her to stay and actually raise a child is actually taking a step down from what she could possibly be. Uh, you know, abortion just makes sense to all of this. It, you are absolutely right. Abo- and by the way, abortion and homosexuality work in tandem because both of them separate sex from procreation. And as long as you accept what I call the liberal tradition, going back to the Renaissance, that the that that human existence, first of all, it's you got one shot to have a good time. You know, if I only have one life to li- live, let me live it as a blonde. You know, uh, it, hey, it don't get no better than this, as they say in the beer commercial. In other words, if satisfaction of your pleasures and desires and, and having a sense of fulfillment, if that's what human life is all about, then you should be, in fact, if you can get away with it, why not kill anybody who gets in your way? You know, if you're hungry, why not eat your next-door neighbor? Only if there is a law, a law of nature and of God, only if, there, if mankind made in the image of God is made to lead a certain kind of life and not other kinds of life, and if only by being, leading a virtuous life in which we accept our obligations, if that is the only route to true happiness as opposed to gratification. Well, these are two opposed ways of looking at the world, and you have to choose. It's like one of the oldest stories, I guess it was the sophist Prodicus in the 5th century told the story of, uh, if I got that wrong, I hope somebody brings me to account, said that Hercules came to a crossroads, and the road diverged. Uh, but on one, uh, one, one branch of the road, there was a beautiful babe dressed very alluringly, and she said, come walk with me down my road. My name is Vice, and you will have every pleasure that you could ever imagine. Well, the, uh, the other branch, there was a soberly uh, dressed matron. She was beautiful but grave and moral, and she said, this road is a hard road. It has, it has mountains and it has swamps, but it is the road of virtue, and this is the road to the fulfillment of your destiny as a great man. And Hercules, of course, chose the way of virtue. But, you know, we're all asked, not once in our lifetime, but we're sometimes asked 20 times a day which road we're going to walk down. And, frankly, liberalism, the, the, whether it's classical liberalism or Marxism or feminism or environmentalism, that is the road of virtue. That is the road. Of, if it feels good, do it. Virtue or vice? 
<laughs> I'm sorry, the very yes, that's the old advice. <laughs> yes, my. <laughs> we make these little slips. Um, and so, you know, and I think the trouble, a lot of trouble with modern so-called conservatives and conservative thought and some even traditional Christian thought, uh, I mean, all this is in quotation marks, is that they want to have their cake and eat it too. They want to say, we'll save babies, but we'll call it a right to life. You see, we'll adopt the language and methodology of the enemy. We'll co-opt it in a good cause. Well, then, before long, you've got people, you've got lunatics going, like there's this character from Rockford. He went all the way to Florida to, quote, rescue Terry Schiavo, a, a woman who had been brain dead for like 10, 12 years. Go down to rescue her. To, do, to rescue her, he needed a gun because he was going to shoot the police who were guarding the place and force liquid down her throat, which would, of course, kill her instantly if he had done this. So he takes a knife and rob, to go and rob a gun store. So let's see, how many, how many aspects of the moral law is he breaking? And by the way, how dumb can you how how dumb can you be coming from Rockford to think you're going into a redneck gun shop in the deep south and that you're going to take a knife and rob them of a gun? They took care of him in about three seconds. There are plenty of jokes about bringing a uh, a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but you see, but this guy was obsessed with what he had been reading in the pro-life literature. First of all, they were wrong on the facts. The facts were very clear about about this case. They, the, the brain scans were very clear. She had the poor woman had uh, Vaseline, not a brain. But the idea that suppose she were alive. This isn't his wife. This isn't his daughter. This is somebody else's family. It's not his job, and that you then go into a perfectly, into a, into a gun shop where they're probably all pro-life anyway, because gun nuts tend to be conservative on a broad variety of issues. So you're going you're gonna to threaten these people's lives to, in order to, to commit a major felony? I remember getting into an argument with my pro-life friends about the Chavo case because they were very much in favor of the U.S. Congress getting involved yeah, in yeah, that. Yeah. And I said, this is absolutely wrong. And first of all, it's the family's decision, you know, good good or bad. Yeah. It's their husband's decision. Yeah. Yeah. No, they want, uh, suddenly, they want the government yeah. involved. Because in the government's done such, the U.S., the federal government has done such a great job in protecting innocent life. Yeah. I mean, the fe- it's the federal government that discovered a right to privacy in the penumbra of the Constitution. You can't believe, even pro-abortion, even pro-infanticide people, lawyers have said Roe v. Wade is one of the worst drawn decisions in the history of the American courts. Well, I think we're, uh, we've come to the end of our time here. Uh, thank you for joining us, and uh, stay tuned for more from Under the Rubble.